What's up, Roto Grinders? Welcome back to the Morning Grind. Once again, I'm Dean. Uh, Stevie is not with you today. He's still busting out his uh, NASCAR content. Of course, if you guys want to get a taste of that, you know we're hitting him up here on rotogrinders.com. That said, we are going to give you some content today. We're talking about specifically MMA, UFC, uh, and who's our MMA, MMA UFC guy? It is Artivore Sunsee Joe, eighth-ranked grinder, uh, MMA-specific currently in the RG rankings. What's going on, Joe? Well, I am not um, $1 million richer, um, nor am I one-third of, <laughs> of the top prize richer, as there were three winners. But other than that, it's hard for me to complain. Yeah, last week was the first ever MMA UFC millionaire maker on DK. Uh, $2.5 million total prize pool, $1 million up top. And we were talking about this pre-show, uh, just three people, which is kind of sort of somewhat surprising. Obviously, it dictates based upon results, but just three people split it. Uh, shocked me. Totally none shocked of our friends. Me. <laughs> yes. Um, none of our, our immediate friends. Uh, I did talk to one of the winners after. Um, and I, I do a little show with, with Brett Appley called Creating Alpha. And uh, one of the winners is going to appear with us on that show, which is, is kind nice. of something to look forward to if you want to know, you know what to do with life-changing money, which uh, 391000 and change most certainly is. Um, you know, uh, tune into that. But I mean, it was, uh, it was interesting. I would have been surprised. And I know you took a survey, Dean. If you told me that a Nunez lineup would have resulted in such a, a small split, which is what happened, you know, Nunez scored a lot of points in that fight, and it took pretty much every single one of those points for her to appear on the optimal or what we refer to as the nuts lineup. And I was really surprised that there was only three winners, but there was somewhat of a perfect storm. I mean, a, a high ownership guy and big favorite named Chase Hooper, um, who was flawed and who I was underexposed to, um, Ended up losing to Alex Casares. Is he like Caceres. 12? How old is Chase Hooper? Yeah, he looks really young. Watching... He's, he's 20. He's actually 20. <laughs> um, so, you know, he ended up, uh, you know, kind of being on the optimal, optimal. And then you've had a couple of other guys that surprised, like Charles Bird had some ownership and he lost to Coconut Bombs. Um, I know you love Mika, nicknames. Coconut Bombs. Um, you know, he, he lost to, to him. He had a cardio dump and immediately retired after he lost that fight. So there was a few surprises, uh, and that was what you know you know caused the split, the three way split only. Yeah, and they didn't completely sell it out, DK, but they didn't take a loss either. And you know, people, there was overlay, but not as much overlay. You didn't pay the full whatever 15, 16, 17 percent of what you showed they're raking. Uh, and then I saw some people on Twitter speculating if this was a better fight, uh, a better card, maybe they would have sold it out. Do you think DK does this again? Was it a success for them? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you know, everybody was saying DK, um, you know, if, if it was the it was the uh, Justin Fer- Justin Gaethje, Tony Ferguson card, they might have sold out. I don't know. I mean, it, it's interesting because and we were, we were also discussing this prior. We got we got to save some of our better stuff for online. But, um, you know, we all know that they had a lot of satellites that they offered for this contest through a lot of sports. And, you know, they the way that the satellites are set up, they actually make money more money than if you were to actually buy in a seat um, on, on, you know, the number of entries that it takes to win a satellite. So I don't know, like, I, I think they made money on the deal. It, like, like to your point, you know, it wasn't an actual loss, which would have been bad. Now they are advertising um, now satellites in other sports for what they're calling the, the UFC 251 special. Um, now they're not giving any details on that. And I would think, that if it was a Millie Maker, that they would say Millie Maker. So it's probably going to be some form of lesser pool. Maybe they also offer another TPOC ticket um, for that. But 
Um, they are they are kind of marketing that now for 250, which is going to have 251, which is going to have three title fights. So they're kind of looking at that as a super card. Is 251 a part of a Fight Island in that July? Um, I believe it is going to be a Fight Island card. Yeah, Fight Island, for those of you that don't know. Um, Laura Sanko, um, one of my, my biggest uh, Twitter MMA crushes, um, broke the news uh, with Dana White, and they confirmed that Fight Island is, in fact, in Abu Dhabi. Um, and it is a, like an island, um, which apparently has a, a bridge or a causeway that you can drive over to. So, you know, you fly into Abu Dhabi and it's going to be a self-contained complex. There's going to be, um, obviously they're building an octagon on the beach. Um, there's going to be hotel restaurants, everything, training facilities for the fighters. And you had asked a good question, Dean is like, why Abu Dhabi? Well, one of the reasons why the United Arab Emirates is such a, a big financial district is because of its location. It's, I, I don't know the stats off the top of my head, but it's so many hours away from a lot of different destinations in Europe and Asia. And it's going to make it a lot easier for international fighters to travel there. Um, if you notice, there's, there hasn't been exactly a plethora of, of international fighters on the few cards that were held. And there's, you know, a lot of fights have been pushed or postponed due to travel restrictions. You know, a number of fights were rescheduled, opponents fell out due to visa issues. So this is going to make it a lot easier to to actually get these international fighters on cards. All right, let's take a look as far as uh, what's going on this week. It's my understanding that the little research that I've done, and I'm kind of bummed. I was looking on DK, I was looking on Vandal, and it's hard to find. Uh, it's still early. We're recording this on a Wednesday afternoon. Uh, this will go up on Thursday, obviously. We, we, I don't have the uh, you know the odds to finish as far. I have the odds in the fighters. I don't know the odds who's more likely to finish this fight, which I kind of was hoping for, but I'm sure you can kind of walk us through that. Uh, well, I guess the most important thing that we should say before we kind of dig in and talk about this slate, as is always, as is the case, especially these days, uh, who who is out, who is in, who's who got scratched for us as far as uh, the card? Yeah, so we have had a couple of changes. Um, you know, um, Marita Ag- Agapova, um, you know, her initial opponent, and she's this is not even on DraftKings because this fight actually fell off before – um, DraftKings put out their salaries. Now, DraftKings is going to have to add this because this is an actual fight. But Melissa Gatto was going to fight Agapova, who's a uh, Kazakhstan from Kazakhstan, um, relocated to Florida about a year ago, trains an American top team. Um, Hannah Cyphers, and if that name sounds familiar, um, two slates back, Hannah Cyphers was knee-barred by Mackenzie Dern. Um, and she is a very small fighter. Um, very strong, um, has what the announcers like to refer to as farm strength. Um, she is pro- would probably be a 105er if the UFC had a 105 division. Invicta does, the UFC does not. What makes this particularly difficult for her is even though this is a, sh- a short-notice fight, which is bad enough, it's actually taking place at 125. Um, so she's like fighting up technically two weight classes. Um, or at least one weight class off of where she took her last fight. So she's going to be really undersized here. Um, Agapova's coming over from Invicta, where she's had a good streak. Uh, I think two wins in Invicta, what got her into the UFC. Um, Love the camp, um, American top team, great camp. Um, I think, you know, she is going to wear her out. Um, Cyphers will come out strong. She always does. But that's one change. And then another change we had was Tyson Nam was fighting Ryan Benoit. Ryan Benoit, for reasons that have been undisclosed, have pulled out. Um, we got a, a um, former Invicta, current glory kickboxer who's stepping up on four days' notice, fights out of Brooklyn, New York, Adeshev. 
Um, interesting, if you look at his page on Tapology, you're only going to see four fights. Um, he lost his first fight, took three years off, and then got signed on by Bellator to fight in a local card in New York. Now, for those of you that don't know about Bellator and some of the other minor promotions, one of the things they do with undercard fighters is they get them spots um, based on their ability to sell tickets. <laughs> so, um, you know, he probably sold some tickets. He fought on a couple of Bell- Bellator New York cards. He's from Brooklyn. Um, opponents were not exactly the best. Um, so he, he had, has a few wins against so-so competition, but he is also a glory kickboxer, which you're not going to see on his topology page. He's got a 16 and three record in kickboxing, which is pretty good. He's been a lifelong martial artist. Um, he is taking this fight on four days notice and MMA is a, you know, different from kickboxing. So I, I, you know, I'm not really sure. I haven't watched a lot of tape on him yet. Uh, I have a feeling he's going to be, he's a, he's a wild card. So he's going to be fairly low owned where Tyson Nam has got a lot of experience, but those are the two big, you know, material changes that we've seen as of our recording date. Is this possibly going to be a situation like we had a couple weeks ago where there was a fighter that was around 7K or so, and he was basically suspected to lose, but then they all of a sudden gave him a guy that he's supposed to crush, and then everybody lock-buttoned him, and he was like 75%. And Nam, uh, against the previous fighter, the guy he was supposed to fight, I saw the odds on it last night. It hadn't changed us yet, and it was basically a coin toss. So, And now you're saying the guy he's going to fight is essentially a wild card. Uh, it's too early. We don't have odds on this fight just yet, but do you suspect that we might see that situation play out here? Well, it was interesting because you're right. It was a very closely lined fight between Nam and, and uh, Benoit. And even on DraftKings, it was, you know, 8,200 Benoit, 8,000, uh, you know, Ty- Tyson Nam. And that is typically, you know, that is the the fight that they feel is a toss-up. That is the salary range um, for a toss-up fight on DraftKings. So it won't be quite so bad because at least we have an 8K fighter. Um, but depending on what the buzz is, and there's going to be some narrative and some buzz that comes out whenever there's a new fighter, uh, I have to believe Tyson Nam is going to be favored. His ownership is going to spike, um, which, again, could present some opportunities. He's not so cheap, but still 8K. If you, if you have what you feel is a lock and load fighter at 8K, um, he's certainly going to have a high level of ownership. Is he known for uh, knocking people out or going the distance? What, what, what's his history? I'm seeing he's 18 and 11, according to his DK uh card uh, yeah he's got a lot of experience he, he tends again he's coming off of two losses so he was literally fighting for his job um in this fight and <laughs> he was fighting for his job here um you know he seems to be more of a stand-up fighter at least in his two losses um you know they were both decision losses i mean again he does have a lot of experience he is was semi well thought of prior to going into the ufc um he did run into he had some good there was some good competition. He fought uh, Sergio Pettis and Kai Kara France. Um, Kai Kara France, especially, um, sort of a quasi top 15 type of fighter. So he was fighting for his job here, literally, against Ryan Benoit. Um, so this, hopefully, he, he wins this fight. He keeps his job. Um, but I don't know if I would expect a knockout unless, again, you're taking a fight on four days' notice. I yeah. don't know if he was training for a kickboxing fight. So I don't know what his cardio is going to be like. I don't know a lot about his camp either, which is, is a camp I've never heard of out, out on, I think, on Long Island or in Brooklyn. Um, so there's the travel. There's four days notice. He's got to get to the West Coast. I don't know. I mean, it might be worth a stab just because, you know, he, he is an accomplished kickboxer and he maybe could catch him with something early. But I would expect an adrenaline dump here 
enticing them just to wear them down. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, it's just uh, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. Of course, the fights are going out on Saturday, and I'm sure more information will sprinkle on through uh, as far as the, night or, the, the fighter that uh, we were just learning about the existence of. Uh, but just to walk back just for a second, uh, Hannah Cyphers, according to ESPN and according to the Google machine, 115, 115 pounds, five foot one, and you're talking about getting up to 125. And you said she fought a couple of fights ago. I mean, how, how often it's not my, I, I don't think that they fight every three weeks or four weeks. This is a, a rare occurrence. Well, they're hurting for fighters. I mean, you've got fighters who are known as, as fighters who are ready and willing to take any fight. Like, like Donald Cowboy Cerrone had that mantra where it's like, you know, he has his, his patented catchphrase. I know a guy like, so anytime there is, was a fight like at or around his weight, he's, he put his hand up. Like I know a guy. And obviously the way that the UFC pays is you get show money and you get win money. Right. And generally, depending on how your contract is structured for the most part, your win money is, is the same as your show money. So if you're on like a, the basic UFC deal is like 12 and 12, meaning you, you get 12,000 for showing up and taking the fight. You get another 12,000 for winning. And then there is a potential to get a bonus for, you know, a fight of the night or a knockout of the night. And there's Reebok money, which is their primary sponsor. Um, so, yeah, you know, again, if you're already out there, which it seems like Cyphers has been out there um, and they are hurting for fighters, they don't want to lose fights off of cards. Um, yeah, fighters, fighters are stepping up more. You're seeing people making a lot quicker turnarounds. And that kind of goes to the fact that there was a three month drought. And there's no like you don't there's no paycheck as a fighter that you got to got to fight to get paid. Um, so a lot of these guys were probably starving for, you know, the three months or that there were no fights um, and are willing to kind of step up just to get paid. Talk about this card overall, as far as the talent and the skill, because uh, it's my understanding, like obviously they're pumping out a card every single week. Uh, the talent gets watered down and all of a sudden these events become less special and of course it's dfs we don't really care we're gonna you know whoever's fighting we're, we're interested and we'll try to figure out who's going to be on we'll try to get on the right side of it but as an overall pool of talent uh i versus cavillo specifically is like is that a strong main event is this a strong uh card when it comes to talent well let me answer that <laughs> um based on twitter no i mean ufc does put on 40 plus events a year so there are like there are people who are diehards like me who literally schedule vacations around hiatuses in the on the UFC schedule I mean there's always like one or two three-week hiatuses um but you generally expect to see cards if not every week every other week you know three three cards a month you go through streaks where you have 10 or 11 weeks in a row where you have cards you know given that they hadn't put on any events for a couple of months you would think that there would be a you know a plethora of ready fighters which to a certain extent there are but you know close off travel restrictions by all the international fighters and now you're dealing with with local fighters, to answer your question, yes, this card has been um, asked on as a, you know, inferior type of card, you know, Cavill I, you know, doing a main event, Jessica I, um, for those of you who aren't diehards, um, she won her last fight, a decision, was a decent performance, but before that, she was literally, literally knocked unconscious by uh, by uh, the um, Shevchenko, the good Shevchenko, <laughs> Um you know, who's the, who's the champion at 125 in a title fight by head kick was just laid out. Didn't know where she was when she woke up, um, you know, and then you got uh, Cynthia Calvillo, who um, is, is good. I mean, is, is, this is her first fight at 125. She'd been having some difficulties making 115 has had a few really bad weight cuts. UFC said you're moving up to 125. 
Um, you know, she's trained some in Thailand. She's at AKA in Sacramento, which is Daniel Cormier and Khabib's gym when Khabib trains in the U.S. Um, it's a good gym. She'll ha- she obviously has some good sparring partners. Her striking looked really much improved in her last fight. I think this is an interesting main event. I mean, look, I, I happen to like women's fights, so I'm okay with the fact that there are three women's fights um, on this slate. But in comparison to prior week's cards, it is inferior and somewhat watered down. Okay, so my understanding again is that uh, the five round fight is where people make big. That's where you make a big decision, a bold decision. One of your first decisions to make when filling out your your DK lineup uh, is how do I handle the five round fight? And the interesting thing here is that Vegas is telling us that I versus Cavillo is a flat out coin toss. Not only telling us that, but if I'm, if I'm pulling up the FanDuel sportsbook right now, they're saying over under as far as the total rounds, four and a half rounds. So basically they're saying, uh, is it going to go the distance? Is it not going to go the distance? Over is minus 235. So they're telling us, A, we have no idea who's going to win, and B, it's going to go the distance. Uh, you know, knockouts are great in the first round, but we, we saw last week uh, Nunez went all five rounds, but she was super active. Therefore, she racked up a bunch of points. Uh, and, you know, she didn't have to knock out her opponent in the first five rounds and land on the optimal. So – uh, is this going to go the distance and are they going to be active enough for me to say I need a piece of this fight? Wow. Um, so, you know, it's not going to be a repeat of Nunez Spencer. Um, these, these ladies are more evenly matched. Um, generally not super high output strikers. Um, you know, I, Cynthia Calvillo does have a wrestling and submission game um, where if she looks to take the fight to the ground, she may have a hard time initially holding I down because I is a pretty strong fighter. Um, but Cavillo has won fights by, by submission. Um, it might be worth taking again, once these props drop like Calvillo by submission. Um, now there is also a couple of things that you said when you're looking at the main event, there is some line value here on Cavillo on DraftKings. I mean, this is essentially a pick em fight um, may go plus or minus one way or the other over the course of the week. Uh, but she's 7.9 K on DraftKings, which is a small amount of line value for a pick and fight. Um, I do think that she'll, you'll get 10 X out of her. If she wins the fight, I'm not, and it goes to the decision. I'm not sure if you'll get 10 X out of Jessica. I, if it goes the distance, cause I don't see her necessarily having a takedown game. It's going to be all pretty much striking. And she generally does not score that well. If you look at her history, um, you know, and the other thing people look at is do I stack or do I not stack in cash? Um, you know, for the main event, given that it's five rounds and there is in theory, at least an opportunity for additional points to be scored. I say you absolutely do not stack in cash. Um, you know, this, if this goes the distance, um, you're probably not going to get your value that you're looking for in a cash stack. Um, so I don't see this as stackable in cash. And I really do think that, you know, the line value all goes to Cavillo. Yeah. So the general thought process here, as far as the main event is, uh, as these events come and come and go, and as slates come and go, uh, this one seems more likely than most where you feel safer to fade the, the yes. main events. Uh, yeah, I will have shares, and I think you can certainly have shares of, um, certainly fade the main event and not have shares of it. I certainly see that as this as being a slate to support that. All right, me being a total donkey, the first thing I look at is the odds, and I'm seeing this uh, Julia Julia Avia versus Gina Mazzani. Julia Avia, Avia or Avila. Uh, is minus 500, massive favorite, um, you know, and as far as the DK price on her, I believe she's the most expensive. Yeah, 9.3K, 
Um, and you know, as you work our way down, there's another one that's like minus 360, a couple in the 200s or so, and then we start getting into the minus nine, uh, 190s and change. Uh, how much do we need this Julia Villa? Is she going to knock out her opponent? Love me the Raging Panda. Um, <laughs> that is her nickname, the Raging Panda. She's from Oklahoma. She's got a really strong wrestling base. I mean, you know, that's what she does. Um, in her initial UFC fight, uh, she did okay. I mean, she put up uh, 70 and a half points in a decision win. Wasn't great, um, but she was 8.6K, so you didn't get 10X. Um, Pandy Kinzad, though, I think is a better fighter um, than who she's going up against here. Um, Mazzani, I think Candy Pinzad, who she fought, um, was a finalist in the Tough House, um, you know, in, in the season where they were looking for 145ers. Um, so she fought Julia Villa. It was a decent fight. Avia dominated her on the ground. She's kind of a wild striker, but has a really good takedown game. Look, there is some risk here. If, if Mazzani manages to go the distance, there will likely be some grappling points here. And again, I do feel that uh, the Raging Panda can, can improve off of her last performance against Pandy Kinzad. Um, I do like her here. Uh, I don't know if I would advocate having her as the highest owned fighter on the card because there is definitely some risk here. And while a finish can happen, and I'm not sure what the over-under lines are yet on this fight, I do think it'll come by ground. And that could either be ground and pound or submission because uh, Julia Villa is strong. I mean, she's got this Oklahoma wrestling background, um, you know, and I do think she has a day job, but apparently there's some level of flexibility there um, to let her train. Um, so I'm looking forward to this. I really, I scouted this female fighter back to her Invicta days and thought she was super impressive. And, you know, you just don't see a lot of female wrestlers, you know, and those that do tend to stand out like Tatiana Suarez, who is perhaps a future champ at 115 if she could, you know, kind of get over her, her injury bug. Um, I like her here. I would preach some caution because again, at 8.6 K, she didn't get to 10 X. I think the opponent's a little easier here, but she's also at 9.4 K. So you pretty much need a finish or a real dominant decision to get 10 X in a three round fight. Well, I mean, if you're shopping around just as far as the Vegas odds, this is kind of interesting. Avia is minus 500 on DK. Uh, and she's minus 650 on Fanduel. That seems like a big difference, though. Yeah, I mean, sometimes when you get up to that number, um, <laughs> sometimes when you get up to that number, it really does fluctuate. Um, you know, unlike betting other sports where the, the spreads are more compacted, you know, between, you know, uh, where you're betting on, uh, you know, the favorite. For, and obviously, there are points, too, that come into play that effectuate the line movements. But, you know, I, it doesn't surprise me, minus 500, minus 600. It could honestly mean that there were a few more bets taken on FanDuel on Avea that caused the line to move, yeah. um, you know, 100 points. Um, it's just hard to bet. Like, there are a lot of people who will not bet female fighters at this number. Um, although we did see, um, and it was very well publicized if you watched last week's slate, there was a better who put a million dollars on Amanda Nunez. Did see that. Uh, yeah, to win 166000 which in hindsight looks like the easiest money that you could ever make. But there are, and maybe that's one of the rare exceptions of a fighter you are comfortable in betting, you know, at that kind of number, at that minus 500 number. But for someone who's, who's relatively inexperienced um, and only has one fight in the UFC and you see that minus 500, minus 600 number, that's kind of tough. Uh, for what it's worth here, the over-under prop, as far as uh, the fight we're talking about, uh, you know, the Avia fight, under two and a half rounds, minus 136 on Vandal. 
Yeah. Um, and I why actually is think that? that um, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, Dean. No, no, yeah, no worries. I, I was going to ask, like, why you talked about the idea of some people just have a general rule, like they just don't like to lay a big number uh, on, on women's fights. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, because they generally do tend to go to decisions, and uh, decisions result in um, the opportunity for judges to be inaccurate is the way I'm going to put it kindly. <laughs> um, inaccuracy in judging, you know, so, you know, you really, if you're betting that kind of money, you really want to see a finisher. And you just don't get nearly the same number of finishes. And whenever you leave it in the hands of the judges, um, there's also that risk that now they see it wrong, they get it wrong. Uh, and also the other the other point I was going to make, the fighter right underneath of Avia in DraftKings is going to get a lot of ownership. I mean, he is DraftKings gold. He is the, uh, the Khabib of the, of the 135 weight class in terms of scoring and wrestling. Um, so that is probably going to be your highest owned fighter is, is the fighter at, at 9.2 K um, Morib Dishvali. Yeah. I left that name for you. I was going to say he's fighting Ray Borg that I can yeah. tell you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He is uh, he's uh, um, he trains with um, Aljamain Sterling, um, the Ray Longo, Sarah camp out on Long Island, a cardio machine, a chain wrestler. Um, he, and, and I'm not, it's no hyperbole with me saying that this guy is DraftKings gold. I mean, if you look at, he scored 130.5 points um, at 8.4K in his last fight, scored 91.5 points at 8.6K, scored 98 points at 9.2K, and in a loss at 7.5K, he scored 70.5. He almost got you 10X in a loss. He's super active. He's super active, and he's a takedown machine. He's just, he's got cardio. Like, he will be as fresh in the third round as he is in the first. As a matter of fact, like Ray Longo in an interview, his, 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 man, his coach was saying that sometimes they tell him that it's going to be a five-round fight, even though it's a three-round <laughs> fight because – He doesn't know? Yeah, they, no, they want him to pace himself. Yeah. You know, like, so they'll tell him, like, in training, oh, you got to train for a fight. You know, they want to get him out of the gym. I mean, you know, like, it, having him train is not a big issue. It's like they're worried about him overtraining in some cases. Um, so, yeah, he's going to get the highest ownership is Marab Dishvali. Big spending cash. You prefer him over over Avia? Ooh, um, in cash, I cash GPPs. I just think he's got the highest ceiling, and he's got the 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 highest floor. It's it's unusual where you see a fighter that's got both a high ceiling and a high floor. Um, I mean, if his floor is seventy points in a loss against Ricky Simone, who now Ricky Simone actually just beat Ray Borg, um, and it was look, it was it was it was not as close as the fight looked. He took down Ray Borg at will. Dishvali was winning that fight um, and actually won that fight. It was very controversial. I was at that fight in Atlantic City, New Jersey. And Dashvili um, finished the fight on the bottom. And the referee said that he, was, he passed out from a choke. So actually, after the fight was over, the referee said, no, you're out. You got choked out before the bell. A lot of people thought that that was crazy, that he actually won the fight. Um, but Simone kind of choked him out, but it was a fight that Dashvili was winning the entire fight. Um, and that's the fight he scored 70 points in in a loss. So given his floor and given his ceiling, I have to say, and $200 in price savings, I think Dashvili is going to be, you know, almost the free square that people use in both cash and, and GPPs, which means in cash, everybody's going to have them. So the rest of your lineup better be tight because you're just essentially crossing this guy off. Yeah, I'm sort of messing around building a lot up right now on the fly, and I'm wondering if I can double down and play them both. You or, can. Or that squeeze things too much. And we talked about uh, Tyson Nam uh, most likely 
being a favorite as well too at 8K. Uh, and then if I put those three in, if I put Nam and uh, uh, I guess Mira, we'll say his first name, uh, Avia, we have 7.8 and change for the next three. Is that something that we can make work or? Yeah, know. so I would give you, like, I would tell you to look at um, Derek Miner. Okay, so Derek Miner is at 7.3K. He is a late notice replacement. He's fighting Jordan Griffin. Um, he's from Nebraska. What's interesting about Derek Miner is he's got a lot of fights under his belt. He, I think he owns a gym in Nebraska. But what's interesting about Derek Miner and Jordan Griffin is they fought before in another promotion. I think it was LFA. And Miner was actually winning that fight, quite, quite clearly winning that fight. And either had a cardio dump or put himself in a really bad position on the ground and got armbarred by Jordan Griffin in a fight that he was winning. So here he is, you know, at 7.3K, you know, fighting a guy that he should have some level of confidence in that he was actually winning until he wasn't um, against this guy. So I think it's a GPP play. I think it's got high risk. I mean, we don't know what kind of shape he's in. Um, He has taken this fight on somewhat short notice. Um, But he is fighting a guy that he's had success against in the past. So at 7.3K, if you're looking for someone to fill in, um, probably not the worst guy in the world to use. I pulled up the uh, the odds as far as Borg versus Mirab in the uh, the round props. Uh, Under two and a half rounds is plus 250. And I guess generally that's not good because you want a guy that's going to finish early. But you're talking about Mirab so active, that almost doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter in this case because he's he's a chain wrestler. And what a chain wrestler is, is a guy that is maybe not the best at holding fighters down when he takes them down, but he's really good at taking them down again. So chain, one right after the other. And that's what Marab does very well. His hold down game is not great. And then you combine that with Borg's poorest takedown defense. I think he's got a 30% takedown defense. Um, and the guy that he fought who took him down easy, uh, Ricky Simone, was, was again, was being beaten by Marab. Um, you know, in, in a prior fight. And Marab had a lot of success against Simone. Um, I'd be really shocked if Borg was able to prevent takedowns. Now, the one caveat is Borg's hands looked really good, better than I've ever seen them um, in his fight against uh, Ricky Simone, which is why that fight was maybe closer, you know, was closer than it, it really was because his hands looked good. He could certainly catch Marab with something. You know, Marab comes in and he makes a mistake going for an entry on a takedown and Borg just catches him. I could certainly see that happening, so it's not without risk. But, yeah, this is a fight that you're actually okay with it going the distance. I mean, you're literally going to be counting takedowns, and each takedown is five points, so you're going to go 5, 10, 15, 20. You know, he gets 12 takedowns, that's 60 points. He gets the win for the decision, that's another 30, so now you're at 90, plus whatever significant strikes he throws, if he gets any reversals, any advances of position, that's how he scored 130.5 last time out. Give me the fight. You're not necessarily sure who you think is going to win, but you think there's a pretty strong chance whoever does win lands on the optimal. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, huh. Wow. I, I don't know if there is that glaring a fight like that. Um, you know, you've got, you've got a fight that's kind of an interesting fight and a compelling fight against you've got, um, Andre touchy-feely, just because I know you like nicknames. What? Um, Andre touchy-feely. That is okay. the fighter's nickname. Touchy is he's Andre Feely, but he's known as Andre touchy-feely. Um, and he is fighting Charles Jordan. Um, you know, now he's got a lot more experience than Charles Jordan, 
but Charles Jordan is coming back from being a massive underdog um, in a fight in Korea against uh, a fighter named Choi, who's known as the Korean Superboy. Um, had a fight of the year against Cub Swanson, this Korean Superboy. And he came back and actually finished um, the Korean Superboy and put up 122 points. So he's a prolific striker. Where um, Andre Touchy Feely um, is a good fighter, trains a team alpha male. That's Uriah Faber's gym. Um, I think a lot of people are looking forward to this fight. Um, it, on paper, it, it looks like a really good GPP fight. Um, I'd be surprised, honestly, if um, if it went the distance. Um, you know, both guys, um, you, know, you know, Feely lost a close decision in his last fight. Um, he actually had some moments against Sadiq Youssef, who's a really good fighter. But prior to that, he KO'd, KO'd the fighter in the first round. Um, you know, he has the ability to finish. He's got a decent ground game. Um, I could certainly see the winner of this fight potentially being on the optimal. Um, and I do see it as kind of a GPP fight because, you know, Jordan has got to have confidence coming off of that, that big win in Korea. He's a 6.8K price fighter, and, and he's put up 122 points. That's, my friends, what we refer to as a slate breaker. When a guy at 6.8K puts up 120 points, that is wow. – that is a slate breaker. So, Must have. You have to have him. Yeah, that's a, you know, that is the guy you need on your lineup if you're going to win anything um, on that slate. So he's coming in. He's an underdog against Feely. There are There is some love for him. There are some people in some of the early pods that I've been following that actually like Jordan. And Feely's got a lot of support. I mean, he's, he's got a lot of experience. He's improving. He fights at a good camp. So I would think that, one, that's going to be a great fight to watch. But, two, I could certainly see, based on how these guys fight, that the winner is probably going to be on the optimal. But again, there's nothing quite so obvious as there was last week. Yeah, uh, Philly will wait for what it's worth, minus 230 currently. And uh, this is interesting. If you think it's going to end early or uh, in the distance, under two and a half rounds plus 150. So yeah, I, I think that's probably a pretty good play. I mean, um, I think these guys are both going to come out and bang. Um, Jordan is a striker. Um, I, again, I don't see anything glaring. Um, you know, I think maybe Borg, even though it's going to go a decision, I think if Borg somehow gets a win at his price point, he could probably be on the optimal and Dishvili, you know, is Mr. Optimal. So I think that's probably a better fight. It's just the odds, odds are really wide on that fight. The odds are a little bit narrower on this fight. So if you're willing to make a stand, you could get some decent value. Um, minus 150 under two, plus 150 under two and a half rounds. It's not bad. I, I would probably take a shot with that. Let's go the other way. Is there any fight you're looking at that's probably going to be a snooze fest? It's going to go with three rounds, and they're going to be hugging. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Aguilar, um, Charles Rosa. Um, it's interesting because, you know, Aguilar, Rosa's game is, is jiu-jitsu, um, but he's one of those jiu-jitsu fighters that's not a great offensive wrestler. So he's good once it gets to the ground, but he's not so good at taking it to the ground. Aguilar is a striker with a really good takedown defense. I mean, he fought another really good chain wrestler named Enrique, Barz- Enrique Barzola and exhibited a great takedown defense. Um, now, he, got, he, got, he lost striking in his last fight, but it wasn't a function of his takedown defense. So Rosa, being a bad offensive wrestler, knowing that it's a fight that he needs to win on the ground in all likelihood, um, I could see this as a really low-scoring decision for, for Aguilar. I mean, I, I think there's some, some small value in betting him because stylistically – this is a bad matchup for Charles Rosa, who, again, is making a pretty quick turnaround off of a guy that dominated him um, in Bryce Mitchell um, in the last fight. And, and Bryce Mitchell dominated him on the ground 
which was supposed to be Charles Rose's domain. Um, and I think Rose only put up a handful of points in a three-round decision where he got dominated. And again, this is a really bad stylistic matchup for him. He's going up against the striker with really good takedown defense. So I could certainly see this as a very low-scoring fight. Are we starting to see fighters uh, for the second time now uh, fighting without an audience? And I know we talked about this in a previous podcast. Uh, is there anything we can learn from like a one-fight sample or it's just guesswork? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, some fighters will tell you they like not having the crowd. Others will tell you they miss the crowd. Um, some will tell you they like being able to hear their corners. Others will tell you it's a distraction. Like, you know, the, the thought by Daniel Cormier was that it, it ended up being a distraction for Anthony Smith, that his corner was constantly shouting instructions throughout the entire fight, yeah. um, and that it maybe made it difficult for Anthony Smith. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, he's not going to throw his corner under the bus. But, um, you know, so it, it's really hard to say. I mean, and if, you're, if you're a fighter that has a lot of anxiety, and there are some, believe me, um, this might lessen the anxiety. They're not being such a big crowd in the audience and you can kind of go in and do your business. It's a lot like your training or your sparring. So I could certainly see that. I just don't know if there's enough of a sample side to draw any con- concrete conclusions. As of Wednesday afternoon, is there a fight you're, you're going to be uh, heavily overweight as far as the projected ownership? Well, I, w- I, would, fighter, I, I would say, a yeah, I fight, would yeah. say, I would say Dishvali, but um, I think he's going to be pretty highly owned. Um, I might have a little bit more Cavio than ownership. I, ownership might be split on that, although there is some line value in Cavio, which I like. Um, a, there's a wild card. I'm not sure what he's going to be owned at, but Ivy is fighting. He's at 9K. Um, he was going to step in and fight Gerald Mershart last week when Ian Heinish's corner man was tested positive for COVID. And then they did a second test and determined it was a false positive. So Ivy didn't need to step in. The original opponent, Ian Heinish, <coughs> excuse me, <laughs> ended up fighting Mearshart. So Ivy is kind of stepping in. And, you know, he was at least somewhat preparing for a fight last week. I think he's much better than the guy that he's that's stepping in to fight him, which is a guy named uh, Aguilar or Aguilera. Um, Aguilera actually is an okay fighter, um, kind of a journeyman. Um, don't think... The UFC, him making the UFC was in, during normal times a likelihood. Um, I think Ivy has got a distinct advantage in this fight, especially if he looks to take it to the ground. Um, again, it's his first UFC fight, so there's a lot of risk to a, a debuting fighter. I do think, though, that he's better, um, that he's better than Aguilera. I may have a little bit of more ownership on him because he's a sneaky play. He is nine point K for a debuting fighter. You know, generally those set up all types of warning flags, um, but it could make him lower owned, which provides some opportunity on a card that's really looking to be a low scoring card. Give me a fighter. You're really, really squeamish to play in cash, low floor, but you think is really appealing from a tournament perspective. Um. Who's popping for you? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I – if but Marvin Vittori, Carl Roberson, okay? So Vittori's a favorite at 8.6K. There's been some bad blood. I'm sorry, 8.8K. There's been some bad blood between him and Roberson. Roberson, um, I guess, didn't make weight, wasn't medically cleared to fight. They were supposed to fight um, a, few, a few slates ago. There was a confrontation in the hotel lobby where – um, the Tory got all into Carl Roberson's face. Um, 
you know, this is a fight that if it ends inside the distance by either fighter, either Roberson or Vittori, it could end up being a pretty decent scoring fight. I don't know if you have the, the, the over-unders open yet on this fight, but if it goes the distance, it's probably going to be difficult for Vittori to get his 8.8K. Now, he does have a decent takedown game, but he just doesn't really show, um, you know, having high scores. Now, this is the guy who, who fought his Israel Adesanya, the middleweight championship, in his first fight and made the fight really competitive. Um, but you just don't see a super lot of high scores. I mean, in his last – he won a decision at 9.5K um, against Sanchez in his last fight and scored 72.5 points. Prior to that, he won a decision – against Ferrara and at 8.6K and scored 85 points, which is almost 10X. But, you know, in a loss, he scored 36. He had a draw. He had a win at 9.1K where he only scored 88 and a half. As a matter of fact, he's only scored 100 one time, and that was in his first fight. So if he can get the finish, and there are some advantages for him in this fight against Carl Roberson, he could be a good GB good GPP play, as could Roberson if he gets the finish. I mean, he's really a, a, a flyer because he's priced really attractively on DraftKings, and he is a kickboxer that's got decent hands. So if he could win, if he could put Victoria away somehow, he could be a GPP punt. But I don't know that I definitely – I don't know that I like this in cash given the price point and given the history of Vittori not reaching 10x. Uh, for what it's worth, the FanDuel Sportsbook, Vittori minus 230, Roberson plus 184. The round prop over two and a half rounds, minus 220, under two and a half rounds, plus 170. So there you go. People think it's going to be over. People think it's going to be, it's going to go over, um, which on, in, on paper might make it more of a cash play. But if you're looking at an 8.8K fighter that hasn't reached 10X, you know, since flip phones, um, we're going to have to actually maybe pass on cash. All right. Twitter perspective, uh, your favorite, I lose that. I use that term uh, loosely, your favorite person, favorite fighter, let's say seven, four and under seven, seven four and under making it tough. Okay. So let's look at seven, <laughs> four and under. I mean, I'm probably going to have to say, and again, realize that we're looking at a high level of risk and variance here. Um, minor, I think again, because he's had success against Griffin in the past, because he was actually beating him until he wasn't um, in the past at 7.3K. That line, that number should be a little tighter. And then Ray Borg. I mean, you know, here's a guy that you know, fought Demetrius Johnson um, and looked good. I mean, he could, based on how improved his hands has looked, have looked, he could catch Disvali. He's the ultimate GPP punt, you know, at, at, at 7K. I mean, you just generally don't see Borg, you know, this cheap. You know, he's still young. His, he's, his hands have looked, looked really good in his last fight. And if he catches Dishvali with something, he's definitely going to hit 10x. You're definitely going to get your value. People like to stack the five round fights. Is there any value or any thought uh, to stack Borg with uh, you know the guy? You expect they're going to be active, but only three rounds, obviously. Yeah, it's interesting that you asked that because I actually did that last time Borg fought um, Simone in a three round fight. It didn't end up working for me because Borg only got I think 28 and a half points. I would have thought that he would have gotten more. Um, there is a risk to that. I mean, if you really don't see anything you like, um, lower value and you want to get more of the top tier fighters in your lineup, it's a strategy for cash. It's not without risk though. I will warn people that it's, it's generally not something that is advised to be done, 
other than the fact that you just really think that everything in the lower tier is garbage um, from a DraftKings perspective, and you do want to get several of the upper tier fighters or upper salaried fighters in your lineup. And look, if Ray Borg wins, he's going to be really underowned. Um, so, you know, that that's, you know, that's something to look at as well. I would say it's a risk. I mean, if someone came to me and made a compelling case for doing it because they didn't like any of the fighters under 7.5K, I don't know that I would necessarily talk them out of it. I don't think I'm going to do that this week because I kind of been burned by that strategy once before. Um, but I could certainly see some people doing it. I've seen it in the past. I feel like we've mentioned most every single fighter, either specifically or we kind of touched on them in passing. Uh, feel free, uh, anything we may have missed, any narrative we may have missed, anything you want to reiterate, uh, the floor is yours. Yeah, so just, um, you know, Agrapova. I mean, Cypher stepping up on short notice, undersized. Uh, again, this is a difficult situation because you do have um, a debuting fighter in the UFC. Um, you know, I don't know what her salary is going to be yet um, because she's not in, in DraftKings. So this is something that, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the I'm, I'm assuming that Cypher is going to come in and may even be um, lower than Borg. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure what the, what, what the line is yet, how their DraftKings is going to set it when they add it to the, to the salary slate. But Agapova is somebody who I would look at. She's going to have a size advantage. She performed well in Invicta. She's capable of getting a finish. Hannah Cypher's maybe too tough for her own good. I mean, she went out and she blitzed Mackenzie Dern, who we all know doesn't have much of a standing or striking game. Is kind of a wild striker. Um, Agapova is a much better striker than Mackenzie Dern. Um, is a natural 125 or is going to have a huge size and strength advantage. Um, that is a fight to look at once the salaries drop. Much appreciate your time. Good luck this week. Tell the people where they can find you on the interwebs. At Sun Tzu on Twitter. S is in Sam. U-N-T-S-Z-U. Um, and uh, again... You know, going to have a, a, a one of the winners on creating Alpha with Brett Apley, who is also a contributor to, to Rotor Grinders. Really excited about that. I mean, I've never interviewed um, a big winner before. I'm looking forward to it. Um, you know, so tune into that. And uh, look, I'm, I'm happy for the opportunity to work with uh, a legend like like Dean. As a matter of fact, I didn't want to tell him this off the air because I didn't want his head to get too big. But uh, this guy specifically referenced Dean as one of his long term idols that he's followed on rotor grinders going back he said uh man dean like you and dean like i really love what you guys did together um you got to tell dan dean i'm a big fan of his i've been grinding since 2015 um so he is a fan of yours as well i'm blushing give me his address i'll send him an eight by ten i will do that i I think he'll (laughs) You know, he might just frame it, um, you know, so I will, I will handle that off the air. I will send it to you. He's Sun Tzu, Joe. You can find him uh, at Sun Tzu on the Twitter machine, Art of War. This was the morning grind. I was Dean. Thanks for listening. We're out of here. Holler. Peace. Peace. Peace.